Hello, and welcome to Anything But Traditional. I'm your host, Tamar Ben-Svi, and I'm so excited to resume the conversation with Ronel Barak. As we left off, Ronel was sharing how she started to doubt Christianity, how she found out about different things that just didn't make sense, whether it was Shabbat or the Christmas tree, her struggles with her husband. It was not easy. But in this episode, we hear the second part of the story, where she became Jewish and everything made sense. It's a beautiful story, and it really needed two parts to really tell it fully. So sit back, relax, and be inspired because Ronelle is incredible and she has so much to share. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Enjoy the episode. In 1998 was a very tough year for me and Yosef because he was starting to get a little bit uncomfortable with me because I was starting to say to him, you know, I'm not sure we, we're supposed to eat what we eat. I think, why, why does God say in the Bible, this is good to eat and this is not good to eat? And, and then he would give me the Christian explanation and I would keep quiet. But, and then I would say to him, you know, I really feel the Shabbat. I, I, I feel drawn to the Shabbat. I, I don't want to go shopping anymore on Shabbat. And I don't, the Shabbat, the Shabbat was the first thing. And then it was the, the, the festivals. I said to him, no, um, maybe we're never supposed to do Christmas and all these things. Maybe we're just supposed to do what's written in, in the Bible. And then he would say to me, no, da, 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 da. So it was a, was a difficult time. But you also, you didn't know halacha, right? Like no, it was I it. know nothing. I had no oral Torah. Actually, that's the most crazy way to follow Torah. If you know, don't know halacha, you, you cannot imagine what pops out there. You were like a karate. No, I don't think I was even that level yet. I, I, I was just, just starting to look. I still had uh, the the New Testament. I, a Karite just has the Tanakh. I was still very confused. Don't even put me yet in the level of a Karite. Um, but anyway, there was a lot of tension. There was a lot of uh, me having to learn to keep quiet. Me in knowing that Hashem has placed us together and he wouldn't separate us. Um, that if I, 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 I learned to pray, I, I really learned to pray and to, to ask Hashem, how do I say this? How do I do this? How do I do this? And then, of course, the inner conviction that maybe I'm a shugan. Maybe I'm all wrong. There's no other people around me that thinks like this. So, you know, what's the possibility? I could also be very, very wrong. And um, so during October um, in 1998, we went away for a week on holiday to Cape Town. 
to a most beautiful place called Langebaan. And uh, just for a breakaway, my mom was looking after Yuda and we had this breakaway, just almost like to spend time together, you know, and just get this, this craziness quiet. So uh, we got up very, very early in the morning and Yosef loves to, he was jogging and he's outside on the beach and I was walking uh, behind him. And I, I tried to have a conversation with him that morning and it really didn't go well. It really didn't go well. He wasn't receptive. He wasn't, he, he didn't like what I was saying. And there was tension, you know, there was tension be, between us and he was running and I was walking and I was praying and I was saying to Hashem, am I crazy? Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm wrong. And maybe I'm not. I'm really, really, really confused. And I prayed. I said, God, today I need something from you. I need a sign from you to tell me that I'm not crazy. And if I am, if I'm wrong, then don't give me a sign and I'll stop. But if you give me something today, you, you need to walk with me. And you need to keep my marriage intact and you need to teach me wisdom. And I stopped and I prayed and I said, give me a beautiful shell. I love shells. I love shells. And I started to scratch in the sea sand. And I picked up, it's actually here in my cafe, a big sea star, like, like this big, I picked up. And I was incredibly amazed because they don't live in Langaban. This is not the place where you find them. You find them further north. And I was having this big sea star in my hand, and 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 uh, Yosef came running back, and he said to me, "Wow, what did you pick up?" And of course, I couldn't tell him what I was praying and what I was saying and nothing. I just said to him, "Yeah, just look at this. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful sea star." And he said, "Yeah, wow, you're very blessed. You're very lucky. You know, this is amazing." And we went back to our apartment. And my, I was using the Christian Amplified Bible at that stage. And um, my Bible was open um, at the book of Daniel, where else? And um, my Bible looked like a coloring book because I would take a color and everything that God said, I would make one color. And everything that man said, I would make one color. And everything, just to try and and figure out what was written, you know. So and pencil and arrows and different scriptures that you know that I was. It was just like a coloring book. So my my Bible was open in the book of Daniel twelve, and I just sat down and I just started reading it, you know. I just started reading, and my eye caught this specific verse that was marked in a color. And that's Daniel 12, verse 3. And I'm giving you the translation now as it was written in my Bible that I was using at that time. And it's, a, and it's written, those who are righteous and teach many to righteousness shall shine like the firmament of the stars forever and ever. And I sat there and I looked at the star that God just gave me. And I prayed, I said, God, but every man thinks we are righteous. 
We think we are righteous. It's our nature. We think we are right. Teach me your righteousness. And we went home. And three weeks later, I went to the doctor because I was extremely sick. And I thought I picked up something on the strip. And I did, actually. I picked up a pregnancy. And I was pregnant. And normally, when I fall pregnant, I am put on bed rest. I get a stitch. And the hormones is all balagan. And everything was perfect. It was a perfect pregnancy. <laughs> what I also didn't tell you is about 18 months before this pregnancy, I started to become aware of my menstrual cycle in a different way. And every time my menstrual cycle would stop, I would go and stand under my shower in my, in my bathroom and I would pray. I would let the water run over me and I would pray. I would say to Hashem, thank you that you gave my body the opportunity to have children. And this month, you've decided not to give me a baby, but I thank you with all my heart that my body has the capability. And I would let the water run over me, and um, I started doing that. And um, yes, it was a very, very big thing for me. Um, what then? Then this beautiful pregnancy, I was absolutely sure that I was expecting a son. I had one son, and I thought I was going to have son number two. And uh, at the stage of four or five months of my pregnancy, the doctor, my gynecologist, who had a journey with me through all my pregnancies, through my birth of Yuda, everything, wonderful, wonderful Christian man, um, after me telling him over and over again, oh, don't worry, it's a boy, you don't need to check the, the told me, no, 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 it's not a boy, it is a girl. And uh, I was in big shock, and I walked out of the rooms into the elevator, and as I was going into the elevator, I just prayed, I said, Hashem, okay, you decided to give me a girl, you have to give her a name. And immediately the name Esther came to mind. And I didn't like the name. <laughs> I, I, I really didn't like the name. And I, I, I prayed. I said, wow, Hashem, you have to teach me about this name because why am I thinking about this name? And I got to my office and the Amplified Bible was on my desk. And I opened at the book of Esther. And in the Amplified Bible, it had a preface that was written. And there it was written, Esther is from the Persian word Astara, which means star. And she had a Hebrew name. And her Hebrew name was Hadassah. And I knew my baby's name was Hadassah. But now you wow. must know, I've never heard Hebrew. I've never read that her name was Hadassah the first time. I almost didn't know how to pronounce it. And I had a wonderful, beautiful husband um, who also has a say <laughs> in my child's name. So I prayed. I said, Hashem, if this is her name, then reveal it to yourself as well. 
And I picked up the phone and I phoned him and I said to him, come, I've got a surprise for you. We go and I'll meet you for lunch. So we met each other and he sat opposite me and I said to him, I've got a big surprise. This is not a boy, it's a girl. And he said to me, no, to me, it's not a surprise. I thought it would be a girl. And I said to him, so what do you think we'll call her? And he looked at me and he said, what about Esther? And I nearly fainted. I really thought it was going to be, you know, (laughs) a thing. And I said to him, wow, um, do you know that she actually has a Hebrew name? He said to me, no, I've never heard that she's got a Hebrew name. I said, yes, it's called Hadassah. And he said, wow, that's beautiful. Wow. So it was my prayer that it, you know, that he would, that he would also agree with the name. And I didn't know it would be so quick and so wonderful, easy, and just great, you know, a, a few weeks um, before she was born. I had a, the doctor gave me a date on which she would be born. And, um, and okay, the there, but a few weeks before she had, she was supposed to be born, I had a dream. And in this dream, I heard, I saw her name in Ivrit. I've never seen Ivrit. And um, I heard she will be born on the eighth, no, she will be born eight days after you, and she will be the sign of something new that's coming in your life. And I woke up, it was about four o'clock in the morning, and I wrote this down. And um, of course, at that time, I was on one week. Every week, you had to see the gynecologist. And I went that week, and again, he gave me the other date. But I was too embarrassed to say to him, listen, I had this dream, and I had this, this, because um, I just didn't want to say to him. But yes, she was born three weeks early. She was a little bit prim. Uh, she weighed 2.5 kilos. She was this tiny, tiny little beautiful thing. But I wasn't concerned. I wasn't at all concerned because I knew it was the date that Hashem gave me, and that was her perfect date to be born. And um, just after I um, I gave birth, um, my gynecologist asked me, um, would you like to have more children? And I said to him, of course, I would love to have more children. And he said to me, well, I think you're going to be very pregnant very, very soon. And yes, seven months later, I was pregnant again, and I had my second daughter. Um, she is called Abigail Barak. She was born at a very, very um, difficult time in my life. Um, she was born four weeks after my mom passed away, very early, very unexpected. She was 54 years old. And um, because of this, I gave her my mother's name. Um, which was Anya Lucia. But when we um, came to Israel and she had to change her name, we picked the name that I would have loved to have, Abigail. And, uh, yeah, so she was my last baby born at the age of 35, 36, I think. Wait, so you have three kids? I have three. I have a son. And eight years after Yuda, we have Hadassah. And 15 months after Hadassah, we have Abigail. 
it's so crazy because when we came to your house, it was also like another thing that me and Giddy realized we're like, how many kids does she have? Because there's like 20 different people hanging out here. We're like, who are these people? Does she have 20 kids? Does she have five <laughs> kids? Does she have one kid? Like, we're like, what is this? <laughs> That's my house. That's my house. But yes, my son lives on the farm with us. And he's in the Israeli Air Force and he has four grandchildren. So maybe Wait. maybe that's what you saw. So now to get to Judaism. Um, after the children was born, the two girls was born um, in um, about 2000, uh, 2003, I became very... Um, adamant um, towards yourself. And I said to him, listen, I don't expect you to keep Shabbat. Look, I didn't even know what it meant to keep Shabbat because reading the Torah, you don't really understand how to keep Shabbat. But um, you shouldn't do any work, you know. That's basically what I understood. So I said to him, I don't want um, people working in my house anymore. In South Africa, you have a lot of workers. You have someone that works in your garden. We had a, um, a nanny that worked with us since, I think she was with me 17 years. You know, you have someone. And I, I told him, I, I don't want these people to work anymore on our property or in my house on Saturday, Shabbat. And I just want to, it's my day. Um, I'll stay home. I don't want to go to the shops and I don't really want guests. And so this is how it started with me. And slowly, slowly that developed, you know, um, up to, I think it was about 2005 where we started as a family together to say, okay, it's Shabbat. We don't put on the television. We don't put on the computer. Um, and, um, I started to try and have food ready. I didn't um, understand plata. I didn't know that you could heat food. So we would eat cold food. And uh, I would make salads and we'll have fish and things like that and we'll eat it cold. And then I got sort of a stove that was a sun stove. You, would, you can put it outside in the sun. And um, I would put um, like certain dishes I would put in there and the sun would heat it. And we would have a little bit of uh, warm, warm food. But yeah, that started. Our first Pesach celebration was in 2007. Didn't know anything. At that stage, first of all, we would still buy our so-called kosher meats in the normal butchery. Um, but over time... I would walk and we would say to him, we want um, this kind of meat and not that and not, we don't want pork and we want it. And, um, but one day I walked into the butcher and I, I said to yourself, I smell the pig. I actually smell the pig. And he said to me, it's impossible. It's in a cooler room at the back. I said to him, yourself, I'm telling you, my meat, I don't want our meat to touch the pig. And he said to me, okay, and what, what are we going to do? I said to him, well, why don't we start slaughtering our own animals? Because, you know, we come from a farm. We're, very, we, we're not stupid with things like that, and he can do it. And uh, he was like, okay, you'll think about it. And, uh, yeah, so we started uh, slaughtering sheep. He would go to a farm, 
we'd slaughter our own meat and we would know that it's kosher. Um, he didn't know how to check the lungs and, and all those things. But the thing that we did, we would take the blood and we would catch the blood and then we would pour the blood into the ground and we would thank Hashem that he gave this life for us. And we would know that we're not eating blood. You know, this was the big thing. But the big challenge was to actually um, big animals. How do you slaughter a big animal? A sheep is easy, but and a chicken is easy. But how do you do a bigger animal like a cow? And uh, so one day he was playing golf and there was a Muslim, religious Muslim guy. And whenever there was prizes to be won, Yosef and this guy would win prizes and they would give them meat, you know, like some kind of meat. And then the Muslim would give it away and Yosef would give it away because the Muslim is halal and we are our own kind of kosher. <laughs> so one day the Muslim asked him, are you Muslim? Why, why don't you take the meat? No. And Yosef said, no, what do you say? We don't even know what we are. We can't say we're Jewish. We don't think we're Jewish. And we can't say, so uh, we just follow the slaughter instructions of the Old Testament. This is how he answered it. And this this, um, Muslim said to him, well, do you know how to slaughter a big animal? And Yosef said to him, no, actually it's a problem because we are used to you can shoot it. And then when it falls, you cut it. But then you actually don't get all the blood out immediately. Um, you know, you have to cut to get the blood out immediately. And um, so he said, he taught yourself. He said, you take a piece of rope and you bind it around the, the hind legs of the animal. And slowly, slowly, you, you, you pull it tighter and tighter and tighter. And then the animal actually goes and lie down for you. And then you can cut. So then we also started to slaughter bigger animals. And in 2007, I said to Yosef, I think we should, we should have Pesach. And he said to me, okay, so what are we going to do? I said, well, we need a lamb that's one year old. Can I ask you this? Because how did Yosef get on board? Like when did he finally was like... Slowly, slowly, he started. Um, I, I think at that stage, it was still very much a brain thing for him and not so much in his heart. He started to understand this, that you shouldn't, it's written you shouldn't eat blood. And, and he couldn't, you know, he started to understand that. And he started to understand, look, we're not doing Christmas. We're not doing Easter with Easter eggs. So we need to replace it with something. I think it was very cognitive still with him, very cognitive. But in peace, there was a peace. There wasn't a struggle anymore. It, over the, after the girls was born and so many things, you know, um, just slowly, slowly started to, to understand it and, and starting to do his own studies, starting to really, um, one day he told me, um, I can't remember, this is before Pesach, but Pesach, he actually said to me, Renal, I'm going to prove you wrong. And I know the only way that you're going to listen to me is if I prove it to you in the Bible. And the thing is, the more he read, (laughs) the more he realized I actually don't even understand everything yet. So um, 
Yeah, so our first Pesach was absolutely incredible. Um, we took our lamb that was one year old without any blemish. We brought it to our place where we were living on the 10th of Nisan. We kept it for four days. And on the evening of the 14th, we slaughtered it. We caught the blood in a bowl. And we, with hyssop, I cannot tell you how I struggle to find hyssop. But with hyssop, we put it on our doorposts. We had sticks in the hand. And we told Hashem, we are ready. We are ready to go wherever you want us to go. And, um, yeah, we ate what we could. I made my first matzot. It was not at all halachically. I didn't know anything about 18, 19 minutes. But I must tell you, it's been the nicest that I've ever had. <laughs> it was just incredible. That first meal, I'll never forget it. And what we couldn't eat, we burnt. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I think that was sort of like a, a watershed. It was like a big turn. But now you must remember, I only had the Torah I only had the Bible. So I didn't know about um, Hanukkah. And I didn't know about Purim because it's not written in the Tanakh. So Yosef's meat was getting very famous. Everybody wanted his meat. And um, there was one lady that I used to visit the prisons with many, many years ago. I think I was I was probably my mid 20s and she was 10 years older than me a wonderful beautiful 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 person she was such a blessing in my life um and she contacted me and she said to me listen i hear your husband slaughter your own meat and that he he drains the blood and he puts the bread and the, 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 the whole story I said to her yes yes we do and she said please i would like to order meat from you and I said, yeah, sure. What's your name? What's your address? She gave me her name, and I was shocked because there's only one Achata. Her name was Achata. I said, Achata, is this you? You know, she's, and we connected after years and years. But what I didn't know, she was actually on the same journey that I was on, but we didn't know about each other. We didn't know anything. None of us, when we started to go out, in the same time, in the same time, we discovered the same things, um, but we d we were kept separate. No, none of us spoke to each other about it. Anyway, so I said, "Well, look, I'm coming for tea," and we. I arrived, and as I walked into her house, there was a calendar on her wall, and it had the mug and David on, and that caught my eye, and I said to her, "What calendar is this?" And she said to me, that's a Jewish calendar. And I was totally flabbergasted. I said to her, you mean it's a calendar that shows you when it's, it's, it's Pesach and when it's... And she, I tried to work it out myself. I tried to work out when is Aviv and when... It, it was a Balagan. You go into Balagan Street if you don't have Oral Torah. Anyway, so I was like... I couldn't concentrate on what she was saying to me. I just said to Achata, I need this. And she said to me, you can get it in any uh, shop. I said, no, 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 I'm, I want this one. I want this one. I, I just need this calendar. 
And she said to me, take it. You know, I have a few. And I took this calendar and I remember getting into the car and I couldn't wait for to get home. I was like, you know, driving with this calendar and 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 wow and wow and and there was Hanukkah because this was November, December in 2007. And no, it was 2008. It was the year after Pesach. Okay, yeah, it was 2008. And what is Hanukkah, you know? And I got home and I opened this calendar and there was a small description next to the date that was Hanukkah that year. And it was written, it's the rededication of the temple. And I walked into the house and I said to yourself, please marry me again on Hanukkah because it's about the rededication of the temple. And I want us to rededicate our temple on this calendar, on this date and not on the Gregorian uh, pagan calendar. <laughs> and he wow. just looked at me and he said to me, Beseda Renal, we can marry again. And we took my <laughs> prayer shawl. You remember that pink cloth that I was using to pray under? And the children as our witnesses. And what was our ketubah? The Ten Commandments. That was we promised the wow. Ten Commandments towards each other. And for my honeymoon, he brought me to Israel. We came to Israel in 2009, February 2009. We met an Orthodox rabbi in Jerusalem, absolutely by accident. And Yosef was sitting with this Orthodox rabbi, because now you must remember, according to Christian religion, the Jewish people are lost because they don't believe in Jesus and they go into hell. So I meet this lost Orthodox rabbi in my eyes, went and sat down with my husband. I sat about a meter from them, and Joseph started asking him questions. And I sat, and I I remember when we were finished, and Joseph and I got up and we walked away. We couldn't speak to each other. We couldn't speak to each other. We looked at each other, and I said to him, this rabbi is not lost. There's nothing wrong with him. I can't teach him anything. There's nothing that I could say to him today that would have meant anything to him. He taught us. He told us what to do. He told us to get a, a chumash. He told us to buy a Tanakh. He told us to get a, a, a Bible with, with the Jewish, the, the Hebrew um, translation. And and we just, you know, we went back home and we decided to convert. But now you must remember, we still believe in Jesus. We don't know what to do with his character. And um, we went the first time to the synagogue. Wait, can I ask you, though? Okay, so you said that you still believed in Jesus. I didn't realize that this whole time that you still believed in Jesus. Yes, you have this Bible that has a Torah, that has a Tanakh, and has a New Testament. And to you, it's one. So you're trying to, you're trying to, all the time, you're trying to, to put this together. And the longer you're trying this, the harder it gets. But like the first, the first commandment, right? I believe it's the first. It's like you should have no, or the second, right? The first you should have no your... other gods before you. Exactly. Right. 
But now, what does Christianity believe? It believes in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But it tells you it's one. So you think it's one. Okay? So the first, when we started going to synagogue, the first time they took the Torah out of the ark, I was hysterical how I was crying. I was literally losing it. And just the way that they treat this book, the respect, the honor. Oh, my goodness. Um, and I think then Hashem placed us in the environment where it was safe enough for him to deal with that last little bit in the middle of the onion, the Jesus part. And I think... The scripture that really started shaking it for me was in, um, I think it's Devarim, where, um, where it says, Mashiach will be a man like Moshe. It doesn't say Mashiach. It's, it just says that um, the understanding came through to me that to say that God became a man just didn't, didn't work anymore. And just before Yom Kippur, in 20, 2009, Yosef, without telling me, he didn't tell me. On this point, I was struggling on my own, and he was struggling on his own. But he went every Shabbat. He would go. We were still driving to the synagogue. Before, we weren't driving anymore. We weren't driving, but when we started the process, the rabbi told us, listen, you have to break the Shabbat, so it's okay. You can drive to synagogue. So we were too far away from the synagogue, so we would drive to the synagogue, and then we would get back, and then he would go into his study. And what I didn't know, he was actually studying Jesus. He was actually starting to measure him up against the Torah. And... Um, after three weeks, he came out and he said to me, it was just, just before Yom Kippur 2009. And he said to me, Renal, it just doesn't add up anymore. And it was such a relief to me. It was such a relief. Um, many people who's been on our journey will tell you that it was so traumatic for them when they had to realize this fact. For me, I think that Trauma was in the beginning, you know, and the, the, the discovering of Christmas and the discovering that I'm not eating correctly and the discovery, it was like little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, that by the time it got to Jesus, um, it was very, very easy for me to understand that I do not need to believe in him to be saved. Hashem is my savior. Hashem is my redeemer. And um, that to me was, was the greatest relief of my life. Um, because then I could just take that part and take it out and, and move on with what was actually important to me. And that's the Torah and the Tanakh. 
So yes, we came, we started the conversion process in South Africa. We had a beautiful, beautiful house. Yosef studied to be a, a land surveyor. And after 10 years, he started his own company and he got a building company and he built our own beautiful home. We had an amazingly beautiful home. But this amazingly beautiful home wasn't selling. We were trying to get the house to sell, to move into the Jewish community. You cannot really start your process before you move into a Jewish community. So although they gave us the Kashrut course and they gave us different courses, we were not going into the Jewish community. So um, in, I think it was October, to October, November 2009, just after we dealt with, with Jesus, I was actually, I visited Achata. She came to Israel and she had 300 and something pictures that she took. And I am not a good person to show pictures. I get very bored of other people's <coughs> pictures. And uh, so she was inviting me to come. And every time I would have an excuse, you know. And then one morning I got up and I thought, and she left me another message. And I thought, you know, you are really, really a selfish friend. You should go. She just wants to share everything she experienced in, in Israel. And I went and we started watching the pictures. And the next minute, I just threw myself on a carpet and started crying like a mad woman. Her husband is a psychiatrist. He told her, is this woman having a nervous breakdown? And she said, no, 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 no. She's just, she's struggling with Hashem. And my struggle was, Hashem, what do you want from me? We've been on this journey since 1994. We were in the year 2009. I'm trying to convert. I have. We have to sell our house. Is there something wrong that we still need to deal with before we can go into the Jewish community? What is going on? And I was speaking to Hashem like I'm speaking to you now, lying on the carpet, crying my eyes out. And at one stage, I said to Achata, can you please just hand me a Tanakh and open in Yeremiah 31. And she opened the Tanakh in Yeremiah 31. And you can go and read the whole Yeremiah 31 that we, we read in Rosh Hashanah as well. And it's about the new covenant that Hashem is going to, to bring and that the Torah will be written in our hearts and one person wouldn't have to teach another person. And it's also the scripture where Rachel is crying for her children to come home. And I was lying there on the carpet, full of tears, through of anguish, saying to Hashem, but I'm not Jewish. I'm not Jewish. I can't go to Israel. I have to convert, and then I'll go to Israel. And then I would read again, come home, go home. And I got up. After almost three hours on that carpet, I got up all swollen, all ready, puffy eyes. And I got in the car and I drove home. And the minute Yosef saw me, he thought, what is going on? Because really, the carpet actually burned my cheeks. You know, when you scrub, it, I was really yeah. swollen. I was really, really swollen from this. And he said to me, what's going on? And I said to him, I think. The house is not selling because we've got the wrong direction. Hashem wants us to go and convert in Israel. And he looked at me. He's a very practical, practical, level-headed, amazing person. And he looked at me and he said to me, Renal, 
if God wants us to go to Jerusalem or Israel, this house will have to sell because I will need money to look after my family for a period of time. We won't be able to work. So this house needs to sell. That was Thursday. That Tuesday, we signed the papers for our property to sell. It took seven months to get everything done. And seven months later, we arrived in Susia, in Dromar Hevron. I've never even heard of Dromar Hevron. But this is where the door opened for us to come. How did you end up in Hevron, though? This is, the, this is where the door opened. Uh, someone, we contacted someone. Um, someone gave me a name of someone and we contacted someone and they said we can stand before the Va'ad and the Va'ad by a miracle. This is an Orthodox Jewish, Jewish, Jewish community. They accepted us. There was no housing. There was no housing available in Susia. But the minute we applied, someone started building an apartment on top of his house. And on the night while we were flying to Israel, they were doing the last tiling of that little apartment that we could move into. I went from a house of more than 500 square meter onto a 74 square meter apartment, four suitcases and boxes and plastics and khatpami and an incredible community um, who had no English. <laughs> and yes, we started the conversion. And guess when we converted? Purim, 2012. Hadassah was 12 years old. Remember, she would be the sign of what is new. We went through the mikvah. No, we went through the Beit Din on the 1st of Adar. We went through the mikvah on the 11th of Adar. And on the first night that you can read Megillah Esther in the synagogue, we got married in Susia. And that's 12 wow. years ago now, this Purim. Wow. So you really have never left the Susia, Durham, Chavron area. It's kept us here. But it's so crazy. Like, whenever I tell people that I, I even went there for, like, a camping trip, they're like, that's in the middle of nowhere. Like, <laughs> it's crazy that you just ended up there. Wow. And then how did you build this house? I mean, you you have a fantastic house now. Yeah, after four years in Susia, we sat together as a family. Four years, almost two, a little bit more than two years as Jews. We sat together as a family and we had to make decisions. Uh, financially, after conversion, we had nothing left. Nothing. Nothing, nothing. That was also very, very important because um, you really, really need to, to start looking only at Hashem. And it's one thing to say imuna. It's one thing to learn imuna. But I'm telling you, um, I think you can only learn and live imuna in the situation when Hashem puts you in the situation, I don't think it's something we just automatically have, really. I, I really don't think so. But um, so we sat down as a family and we financially, it was very, very hard. It was very, very hard. And it was very hard for us in a, in a way that I had the children and they've never 
they've never known this in South Africa. We were always very blessed financially, very comfortable. Um, since the girls was was born, I didn't even work. I stayed home. I was a stay stay home mom. I felt that my children was my biggest job, and um, so I had all that. And and suddenly there there was really every shekel had to be turned around twenty times. And we sat down as a family, and Yosef said to me, "Renal, we have to cut our budget in half." We, we will have to do it. Otherwise, we're not going to make it. And I jokingly, absolutely as a joke, I said, well, the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we move into a caravan. <laughs> and he got onto it immediately. He said, this is perfect. This is exactly what we should do. I said, no, I didn't mean it. I just said, you know, this is you telling me 50% of my budget. He said, now this is perfect. And I was in a shock for a while. And then he, we sat down again and he, and he said to us, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to when Hashem called us to Israel. Let's go back to the dream. What was the dream? The dream is to build this land. He said to us, you know, Susha is built. Susha is fine. It's got almost 200 families. Wonderful, beautiful synagogue, everything. He said, but there's three settlements in this area that has almost no families on it. And the three settlements was one Mitzvah Yair, uh, the other Asael, and the other Avigail. And Avigail was a mixed community. And um, because of my journey, I have nothing against a mixed community at all. But for me, it's very, very important that I'm in a Shomrei Shabbat environment with my children. And, um, yeah, so so that was sort of, you know, we thought, no. And Asael was a little too far from Susia because the children was in school and they were happy. And we didn't want to move them too far. So we said, okay, let's go and have an interview with Mitzvah Yair. Mitzvah Yair accepted us. And we were family number 17. And in the Gamatria, 17 means tov, good. And I thought that was good. That was good, you know. Um, and we came, we lived in a caravan for a year, which was amazing. And I'm not saying that I really, really mean it when I say that to you. You know, my, for the first time, my neighbor I didn't even have to raise my voice to speak to my neighbor. <laughs> I could just say, listen, I need an egg. Or she could say, listen, I need this. But it was just so amazing. So I had that year. And then this farm that didn't look like you met it opened up. Um, and that's another long story. But the Yeshuv asked us if we would maybe be interested to come here. Again, I wasn't so excited about it initially, but the more I thought about it, the more I knew that if there was a family that is capable to come and live here because of our background, because of where we come from, I think we, we can do it. For the sake of the Yeshuv, we can do it. And we came. Uh, the first night I lit my Shabbat candles the wind inside the house actually blew the candles out. 
there were so many broken windows. There were so many things not, you know, you guys knew the cafe where you had your breakfast. That didn't exist. And also the other side where the meat kitchen was, it didn't exist. It was just this middle part. And also it didn't have the mere facet. And there was no grass. And there was no levels. You were on the level. with There was nothing. There was no trees. Um, I'm actually collecting photos at the moment to make a collage of how it actually looked here. Because if you tell people, they don't realize how it looked. It was just one big dust corner. Why did the Yeshuv need somebody to live there? Because of our neighbors, um, you know. Pleasant neighbors. It's a buffer. (laughs) It's like a buffer. And the first year we had a lot of incidents, a lot of theft. um, And I also, again, I don't, I don't need to talk about that. In all of that, Hashem was with us. and But that was actually the motivation why I moved the cafe from Atar Susia, where it was the first two years, to the farm. We knew we had to be on the farm. Yosef was still then working as a surveyor, as a modet. But during Corona, he lost his job. And, um, and we just decided, okay, let's jump. Let's... Um, Let's do this. And you've been here. Um, this is where we are now. And since the 7th of October, it, it really feels as if I'm living in an alternate reality. Uh, it, I'm really, I think, still in shock. Um, in a period of 24 hours, my son, my son-in-law, my daughter's um, fiance and Hadassah was called up. Um, my two son-in-law serves in Gaza, and Yuda is in the Air Force in Hatsirim. No, so one of the things that we haven't spoken about yet is your children, right? Because your children weren't young when all of this happened. Like when you finally became Jewish in 2012, right? Yehuda was. In his yeah, that was 19, 19, um, he, 1920, he had to do conversion on his own. So he was with us. He was with us in Susia, everything. He has his own journey. Um, but when they, when we were in front of the Beit Din, one of the Dayans actually asked him and said to him, do you have the desire today to convert with your family? And he said, No. It's not my time. I need to learn more. And he went to a yeshiva, and he did um, almost two years in a yeshiva in Jerusalem, which was very, very important because, listen, he's got four children. He needs to teach them Torah. He needs to be more than we are. Um, And they are. They are. They are more than me um, in, in their ability to speak Hebrew in their ability to be part of Israel, in their, uh, in every level, their connection with with Hashem. Um, I sit around the Shabbat table and every time um, I'm just, I'm just amazed at who they've become. The two girls was much younger. Adasa was 12 and Abigail was 11. Yeah, Adasa, um, She's the one that I am keeping my eye on. She struggled the most. She not with uh, not with being here or being, but with 
the school, the language. Um, one thing of being in this area is the support for Alia and Olin is not, they, it doesn't exist. They don't know it. No one makes Alia to Susia. <laughs> so, uh, yes, um, it's not like Ifrat or Renana or those places. You know, you just don't have that kind of support. So it was very hard for her. She basically had to do a book route in the army. She just couldn't finish it. Um, so, And she also decided not to do Shiru with Rumi. She wanted to go to proper army. What made Yehuda... What made you- he went to the Air Force. He was called up and then he was offered to stay. He was also, when Israel was 70 years old, I think it was 2018, he was one of the top soldiers that Rivlin fought for every year, the 120. So that was very amazing to us. It was a very big honor when he received that prize. And he went to learn in Haifa um, uh, in an engineering course through the Air Force. And he's now, um, he's Krabi, yeah, not Krabi, um, Keva. Um, in the in the Air Force. He was actually the first that was called up. He was that morning of 7 October. He was outside with our neighbor watching the sheep because it was some Torah and he sent all the shepherds home for the holiday. So he came to us the evening before, our neighbor, and he said to us, listen, I, I need someone to help me tomorrow morning. So Yuda and my uh, future son-in-law, Joshua, said, no, we'll come and help you. And they were outside when they heard, they actually heard the bombing from here. And Judah came in to me and Yosef. We also heard it. We thought it was a practice because... On October 7th. We have a firing range close to us. Judah came in and he said, this is not, this is, this is crazy. I'm going to be called up, I'm sure. And literally he said the words and I think 10 minutes later he was, uh, he was called up. Um, he was called up and uh, he was the first. And then Joshua went in and then Hadassah went in and Daniel also went the same day. Abigail's husband. Yeah, so they've all been they've all been busy. Yes, and now what I didn't tell you is since a week after the war started, we decided to open the cafe anyway because there was just no business. No one wants to have a simcha now or wants to, you know, it's a hard time. So we decided to open anyway. And we open for the soldiers and we give them a free meal daily. Um, we have a kosher meat kitchen and we have a kosher halavi kitchen. And we, we change it. Some days, they, like today, we're serving halavi. Yesterday, we served uh, basari. And, uh, yeah, it's exploding at the moment. I think you saw some of the photos on Facebook. It's really just exploding. Um, and it's amazing. It's, it's to do something. Everybody's doing whatever they can, you know, just to get through this time. How do you afford all of that? How do you, like, do is there somewhere that people can donate if they're interested in donating? Yes. Yes, we get donations. Um I have a PayPal account that I will send to you for people that's um, international. And um, in Israel, they can do it on Paybox or on, uh, not Bit. Um, yes, actually, Yosef has got a Bit on his telephone. But I can, I can give you the details and they can uh, contribute. 
and uh, this is how we've been doing it is people has been have been contributing and helping and sponsoring and yes um also what many of the um, army bases are doing now the smaller the meluim bases you know they just go and deliver food for the guys lots of tins lots of rice pasta and and then they have to make something for themselves so what they started three weeks ago is they actually bring some of that stuff for us. And then they tell the guys in Abigail and all the Yeshuvim around, listen, your hot meal is that cafe Ronel. So that also helps because, I mean, who's going to cook himself a nice um, meal? Um, yeah, we bake our own bread. We give them fresh salad. It's fresh. It's nice. Cup of coffee. Beautiful view. People that just love you. And, um, yeah, this is what we can do. So my last question, if you went from someone that didn't know the Aleph bit to going and living by Susia, which I'm sure is mostly Israeli and Hebrew speakers, are you fluent in Hebrew now? Do, do, how do you talk to your neighbors? <laughs> I think we always joke and say the whole of Dromar Hevon tries to speak English because of me. Um, because I, I, I just start, I really struggle with the Hebrew. I really struggle, but I do. I never went to Ulpan. Uh, there wasn't time. We needed to earn money. So it was hitting the ground running and making a life. There was no time. Listen, I know the terminology. My, I know what vegetables are called, and I know, you know, in my but but to have a conversation, Yosef is better than me, Baruch Hashem, because he went and he worked outside, you know. So, and he worked with Hebrew speakers, so he was forced. And the children, of course, are fluent. I'm absolutely surprised to see that my grandchildren are actually starting to speak um, Hebrew with each other and Hebrew with. With each, with the with the grown-ups and and I actually learn a lot from it. I because they speak a more simple language, you know. So I think that makes it a bit easier. But I'm also not too too stressed about it. Um, I, it's okay. It's okay. I'm sure Hashem understands me, you know, even without my Hebrew. And that's the most important conversations that I should have. I read, I read because of the prayers I read, but I don't always understand what I read. And that makes it a bit hard. You know, I, I tend to go more to the English prayers, to and English is not my first language. But um, it's okay. It's okay. Wow. Do your kids know Afrikaans? Yes, I speak Afrikaans. That's my first language, and I speak that. I, I'm a little bit confused, though. When you said that you were a buffer... What like for the community? Does that mean that it's like to take the it's to take the yeshuv a little further and become like a a buffer? Um, you stop, you stop, you stop. Uh, you're a stop. You're an outside post. You know. But you're like the guards of the yeshuv. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. It's just that I wouldn't say that. But um, it was just it extended the borders of the yeshuv which was good. And since we've been here, Yuda, my son, has built a house here. We have another family that came here, family Shvall. Um, we have another young couple that's here. And we have uh, 
My daughter Hadassah, Bezrat Hashem, just got engaged two nights ago, and uh, she'll be getting married soon. And uh, she also wants to live on the farm. And so the, it's it's extending. You know, this is the beauty. You have animals on the farm? Yes, yes. Not really our animals. It's my neighbor's animal. Of course, we've got dogs and cats, and we've got chickens. But you don't slaughter them. No, we we don't slaughter. But my neighbor does. He's got sheep and uh, he does slaughter. He's a um, he's got a kashrut, Meskia, What do you call it? He can slaughter. Um, but he's got horses. I think they've got a donkey and a mule or something as well. We've got peacocks. Wait. So Ronel, to wrap up, I want to just wrap up with one last thing. This podcast was out of this world. I hope people listen to the end. I know that this is a long podcast but um i am blown away by every word and it is crazy your journey i i'm like in awe of everything what is one last message that you want to give to the people listening to this podcast wow remember who you are Remember you who you are. You are like the parasha says this week where Yaakov's name is changed to Israel. You are Israel. We are Israel. We are Hashem's chosen people. Not for the sake of being the chosen, but for the sake of being his servants. Especially when we go through what we did on the 7th of October. I think it's very hard feel the chosen people but we are this is who we are so remember who you are wow thank you Ronel, for joining us today and um thank you for everything i uh, look forward to speaking to you again in the future thank you very thank much you. wow <laughs> that was a crazy episode with Ronel barack i know that You've had two weeks to digest it, but I think every word that Ernell has said is inspirational, is powerful, and really said something about her, about Am Yisrael, Kalai Yisrael, about the future of the Jewish people and the holiness of the Jewish people. So definitely DM me, be in touch. Answer the question box. I'm here for you to unpack it. You don't have to unpack it alone. And as always, if you want to sponsor an episode or dedicate an episode or you have a business that you want to promote, be in touch. There's many sponsorship, dedication, and ad opportunities. So I'd love to hear from you. Just reach out. I'm only a phone call away. And uh, until next time, looking forward. Looking forward.